At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to the Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by the Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, CEO and founder, and I am honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through paying it forward and giving back. Ethical business owners and holistic healers who are determined to create collective change in the world. Once we have a change in consciousness and through collective change, we can become one. Dr. Steve Iacovelli has been in the leadership, learning and development, change management and diversity and inclusion consulting space pretty much his whole career, around 25 years. A few years ago, Steve realised that the focus on specifically developing LGBTQ plus leaders wasn't really top of mind for many organisations. So, the gay leadership dude was born. It's Steve's brand to come out and acknowledge the role he wants to take to give back to the LGBTQ plus community and awesome allies. It's refreshing to cut through the noise with Steve and ask the questions that only those in the queer community know should be answered, all while having fun and spreading the love. I hope you learn something from this episode and also get a laugh. Welcome, Steve, to The Ethical Evolution. Hello. Lovely to be here. Thank you. Now, uh, I'm so excited to have you here all the way from Orlando, Florida. Now, uh, for people who haven't heard of you, can you tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah. So uh, my name is Dr. Steve Vacavelli, pronouns he, him, and his. I am the owner and principal of Top Dog Learning Group. So Top Dog, we are a consulting firm based in uh, the United States, uh, but we work with our folks pretty much across the globe. Uh, but we focus on three areas. We look at leadership and organizational development. We play around with diversity and inclusion and creating a sense of belonging in the workplace. And we focus on change management and resiliency in times of change. Wow. Um, that's a lot. That is a lot. Um, and no doubt you would have seen, uh, particularly in the last 18, 18 months to two years, uh, you, you've probably been pretty busy in trying to help people be resilient in the workplace or what we now call the workplace. <laughs> Whatever how, that means. How's that been for you? 
You know, it's it's funny, Bindi. Um, you know, the concept of physician heal thyself you yeah. know, has kind of come to mind because uh, early in uh, the beginning of this pandemic, uh, you know, I lost everything as far as the business goes. Mm. Uh, most of our business model was face to face training, and so I would send my team or whoever out, and of course that all went away. And um, so it was like, oh, rats! What do we do? Well, my doctorate's actually in distance learning, so I was zooming well before it was cool. Wow! And so, um, you know, I was like, well, well, let let's you know be resilient and think about how we can add value. And so it was kind of this bounce back, and 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 luckily, you know, knock on wood, things have actually been been quite busy because not only of the change management piece, um, but you know, leadership, and and of course with um, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and and social justice really becoming where it should be. Um, looking at doing a lot of di- the diversity inclusion stuff, but also via distance. So it's been an interesting time for Top Dog Learning Group. Yeah, um, and it's just been one thing on top of another. Um, you know, uh, when we look at diversity and inclusion, um, you've had all the the hot buttons in the last twelve months or more. Um, how how did you deal with that in a remote space? You know, and, and I've actually found that if you do it correctly, having that 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 little bit of distance has been helpful for some people, especially as they're really trying to understand it. So, for example, pre pandemic, one of the things that we would do is go on site and do some some on-site leadership, inclusive leadership workshops with clients. And it was kind of a, you know, um, load up the shotgun and, and send out all sorts of information and messages and, you know, that whole baptism by fire and fire hose and all that. So that was okay. And a lot of trainings are were done that way. What we did over in uh, the course of the pandemic is we would take that eight hours of content and we break it up into four two-hour chunks. And it's actually been lovely because people can go back and absorb the concepts of, say, privilege and what that looks like. And then we come back the next week and, and the, the conversations were even more rich because people were like, you know, Steve, I actually had some time to think about that and apply it and look around my world and, and see you know, what that concept looked like to me. And I, I think it's actually been, been a little bit of a, a silver lining. Yeah, and I, I think that's uh, one of the things that we often forget to do, you know, particularly through a time like this, is to to remember what the blessings have been um, and to really remember what matters. And, you know, you're probably finding that, that people are having that time to reflect and they're not, they're not you know, in the hustle bustle so much anymore, um, yeah. that they've actually got some space for themselves as well to actually go, okay, well, what does this mean to me now? That that and I also feel that when we talk about inclusivity, um, people have really seen quite literally windows into our respective worlds. And I think that's really opened up some great conversations and, and aha moments where people are like, oh, you have children. Your children are trying to learn from home. And, and you do have this work-life thing. You're not just coming to the office and I see you in your cubicle and that's all I have to define you. And I, I think those are the types of things that excites me about what happens quote unquote, air bunnies, you know, on the other side of this, because I'm hoping that people retain some of that empathy um, and vision and, and really pull it forward. Yeah, I um, I also have a full-time job aside from this. And, um, you know, when, when the uh, pandemic began, we had to move very fast into a remote working environment. And the people who'd worked, you know, at this particular organisation for decades had gone into this space and were like, oh my God, what is going on here? Um, And we had to gently take them into that space. And you know what, it has brought us together um, rather than 
split us apart. Like we've become more of a family than anything because we've been invited into each other's homes um, and, you know, we, we know what the kids are doing, we know what the dogs are doing, you know, and, you know, to the point where we'd even have like little um, trivia kind of things where you'd, you'd do a little um, treasure hunt around the house and you'd take the camera with you and that kind of stuff so that we actually got to know each other as a person and I think for me that's a really big thing that, uh, you know, is important for me as a leader is to actually put the person first. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, in, in my book, Pride Leadership, I talk about what I've seen as the six competencies that really make a difference for, from, from leadership in my, you know, almost 30 years in the space. And, and one of the top six, of course, is empathy. And I think we've had an opportunity to really, really think about that, especially from a leadership perspective. And how are we trying to put ourselves in, in the perspective of, of any of our team members or coworkers or, or clients or whatever, to really start to, to stop and pause and say, you know, what are they going through today versus what I'm going through today? Mm, absolutely. Um, now, Steve, you're known as the gay leadership dude, which I actually love. Now, tell us about the book, Pride Leadership. So, you know, as I said, I, I've been in, in the leadership space, both internal to organizations as well as external. And so I, I kind of first started getting into it. I worked at Disney for several years, actually, as an internal leadership consultant. And that's kind of where, you know, the leadership bug bit me, if you will. And, and ever since then, you know, it's always been part of my world, regardless of, of the role I had, like I said, internal or external. And I was um, at a conference back in 2018, and I'm between sessions and sorting of business cards, and and this woman's doing the exact same thing next to me, and she's like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, consulting, blah, blah, blah. How about you? She's like, I'm a publisher. I said, you know, there's a leadership book in my head that has to come out. She's like, let's get that book out. And so you flash forward, um, Jennifer Grace, uh, my publisher, my amazing publisher at uh, Publisher Purpose Press, um, you know, I worked with her and the team to really start to pull out the book. And, And technically, it's my third book. Um, I published my dissertation just because why not get the credit on Amazon and all that good stuff. So there's that. And then I went down the path of, um, of, uh, a self-published book, which I know a lot of people have success. I did not. It was not a good experience. Mm. So when um, when the leadership book was kind of starting to form, you know, I was kind of getting that stuff together. And then, you know, as you said, I'm the gay leadership dude. I I, I didn't wasn't known by that at the time, um, but I do a lot of social justice work here, both in Central Florida as well as throughout the states. And um, if you remember the TV show Sex in the City mm-hmm. back in the day. So, you know, if, if you're not familiar, uh, the main protagonist, Carrie, which she's an author, uh, a writer, and she would sit down at her little Mac and she's like, I couldn't help but wonder. It was always her, her thesis statement. So I kind of said, I couldn't help but wonder, is there something about being a member of the LGBTQ community and, and looking at leadership maybe through a different lens, or as I now say, a rainbow lens. And, and that's kind of where I took, took the shift from just kind of a generic leadership book to a leadership book through the rainbow lens for LGBTQ and of course my awesome allies love it as well. And that's kind of how uh, Pride Leadership came to be. Wow. Which kind of leads me into my next question. And it's a curious one. I mean, what difference does being gay, make to leadership? Wonderful question. And uh, it makes everything. Uh, queer people are better leaders, period. Thank you very much. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, Amen. I mean, we're done. In all sincerity, it's not that, that queer folks are better leaders, but I, I, I hypothesize in my book that 
um, as a member of the, we'll just say general queer community, you have an opportunity to flex your leadership muscles maybe differently. And so, for example, um, in, in, in Pride Leadership, I talk about um, six specific leadership competencies that, in general, I've seen as be amazing ways that leaders are either rock and rolling or, if they don't have these, crashing and burning. And it's being authentic, having leadership courage, uh, engaging with empathy, effective communication, building relationships, and shaping culture. And, and regardless of who you are as a leader, those to me are the top six that I see as, as really paramount to making a difference. Now, I, I, I put that through the queer lens and I say, for example, authenticity. You see a lot of awesome folks in the general leadership space talking about being your authentic self at work. Why? People know, people can tell. And mm. when you're authentic, you foster trust. And that's truly the secret to leadership. But I put that through the lens and say, okay, if I'm an uh, out gay man at work, I'm a trans person being my authentic self in the workplace, you're already exercising that skill. Mm. How can you kind of laser focus channel it to be more effective as a leader? And that's kind of the focus on pride leadership. Mm. And I have to say, you've you've gone to the top of the class, Steve, because you're the first person in hundreds of people that I've spoken to around the world that's doing their own presentation on screen as we go, <laughs> including your own rainbow flag with the key points. Well done. It, it, thank you, thank you. It's almost like I have a doctorate in distance learning and do I this know. all the time. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I wish we could get you into every workplace. The kind of change you could make, absolutely incredible. Thank you. Now, um, you know, diversity and inclusion is something that's being spoken about a lot more in workplaces nowadays. Um, And, you know, recent events around the world uh, are fostering that. But also, you know, in some countries it's becoming legislation that, you know, we we need to actually do this because it's law. Um, I mean, how can you know, companies make that a successful strategy for them. I know, I know. Um, you know, in my experience, some companies, you know, they'll put a rainbow flag on the strategy or someone in a wheelchair and you're like, ooh, really? Really? Do we want to go there? I mean, how do we make this successful regardless of how we identify ourselves? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it's an another awesome question because yeah, you do see the um, you know in, in October it's pink washing for breast cancer awareness. It's it's rainbow washing in mm. June and, and all these different things. And and it, it, I think it's really interesting how uh, in in. It, 2020 in the summer when people are like, you know, putting out their statements about, you know, we believe um, Black Lives Matter, but it's a fantastic, wonderful, lovely. What were you doing in December of 2020? What was happening and changing and looking at the perspective of your uh, people of color within your workplace? And so when I I approach this concept with with clients, um, I I kind of explain to them because sometimes people come to our workshops or our sessions and they're voluntold to be there. Mm. If you know what that term means, um, that's a good it means, one. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, they, they're there, but they weren't volunt. They were volunteered by someone else, yep. and so. And I, I acknowledge that uh, people in their inclusivity path are, are on very different steps or, or, or spots. So I say, okay, the way I think about it, uh, inclusivity, especially from a business perspective, is on one side of the continuum uh, is is the the penalties. You know, the, the things like you're saying about you know, laws are changing in country and city, whatever. You know, so you're 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 embracing inclusivity because it keeps you out of hot water and the legal system. Okay, got it. There's that. On the completely opposite side of that continuum is is the philosophy of being inclusive is just the right thing to do for the world. 
Awesome. Yes, I truly sit there. I believe you do as well. And I'm sure many, many of your listeners are there as well. But there's somewhere in the middle where time and time again, they've proven if you just go to go to your favorite browser of choice and type in business case for diversity and inclusion, you're going to see some fantastic data around how being an inclusive business hit your bottom line better. Mm. You know, when you have a diverse uh, C-suite uh, of, of different ethnicities, different perspectives, different genders, et cetera, et cetera, your bottom line does better. And so what I, I tell folks at the very beginning is like, I, I don't care where you're on either on the opposite side or the, or, or the you know, intrinsic better for the world side. Let's all agree and start in the middle that if we want this particular workplace to be better, we need to be inclusive. And, and are we there? Sure, Steve. Then cool. Let's go. And of course, by the end, I hope they're up toward that. Hey, this is better for the world too. I'd love that. But if not, then at least I got them on board to say, look, in your best interest as a business, as a workplace culture, it's good to do this. Yeah. And it comes back to the culture, doesn't it? Like if if we treat each other like humans and, and recognize each other like humans, regardless of who we are, what we do and identify, that's the, the raw basic of it, you know? Yeah. And, and what, I, what I love too is, is yes, I'm the gay leadership dude. Yes, I have a queer leadership book, although allies are loving my cheeky, it's cheeky dad humor, but it's really fun, solid leadership theory. But one of the things that I'm really a big advocate on is, is really just, um, you know, it doesn't matter who the other are. I'm using my quote unquote bunny ears. It's we can be a good ally for any of the others. And, and I use the, the framework of you can think in, speak up and act out. And so thinking is like you're starting your own house. You start with yourself. What are my potential unconscious biases? Where am I at? What does that look like? Then the speak up is kind of looking at the folks around you that, you know, am I being inclusive with my language? Am I making sure that when someone says some some stupid disparaging comment about any of the others, I'm there to defend that. Mm. And then the act out is, okay, broader enterprise wide. What are we doing as, as a workplace to be more consciously inclusive? So it's, you know, where are we recruiting? What do our HR forms look like? What are the assets that are like standing around uh, on the walls within our business that are showing the like leaders are the leaders always middle-aged white dudes, you know, what does that look like? And mm. so I think it's a nice way to frame it up for us to really think about being more consciously inclusive. Yeah. And it's interesting, um, you know, I've had some really interesting conversations, particularly around diversity and inclusion in the workplace. And just recently, um, I had an experience where uh, it was where at Purple Day and um, people were like, what's that for again? And like, they then point to me being the token gay. And I'm like, all right, let me break it down for you. You know, so it was like, you guys should know this stuff regardless of who you are. Um, And I think that's the challenge that I have is, you know, regardless of your sexuality, um, I think straight people have to be comfortable in having these conversations as well. You know, it's, it's, it includes them too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I will never understand what it's like to be a person of color, both in the States and across the globe. However, I can be empathetic and open to what can I do? And I, I, someone told me this, I, I wish I remember who, they said, you know, true allyship is knowing where to stand. I'm like, what do you mean by that? They're like, some allies stand in front because they're they're helping to defend. Some stand by the side, locking arm in arm, and some stand on the back and just kind of hold you up and allow those people to, to really do the, the primary speaking. And I always thought that was such a beautiful way to think about mm. being a true ally. You, you know, and and where do you, how do you know where to stand? You know, you ask the person. You ask the, the person you're being an ally for, where do you need my support now? Mm. And I just thought that was so cool. That's a really nice way to look at it, yeah. So I guess the challenge that we face 
uh, when we look at diversity and inclusion in a workplace is people have professional and personal beliefs and when the two come together, sometimes mm. that's where we have the clash. How do yes. you deal with that? You know, the one thing that I love about um, the, the client partners that I play with is the, every single one of them has some sort of vision, mission, and values within their workplace. And so I, I use them like a sword and a shield whenever I'm working with, with clients uh, in their workplace, especially those naysayers who really are on board. And, you know, and if you're doing it right, your your vision and your mission, and most importantly, your values are how you're supposed to, especially the values, are how you're supposed to interact on a day-to-day basis. The work you do is supposed to be through that personal value or that that professional values lens, the, the values that are on the, you know, HR website or all that good stuff. And so I always start there with a client. When someone's you know being voluntold and totally not on board with what I'm doing in these workshops, you know, I say, hey, you know, and, and nine times out of 10, 9.9 times out of 10, something about embracing differences, diversity, however it's phrased, is part of the vision nowadays. Great. So I'll start there. Like, you know, so, so-and-so, you know, would you agree that that you know these five values at your company are the ones that you're supposed to abide by? Well, yeah, that's all my performance appraisal. Awesome. So if you don't align with these, does that mean you should work here? Huh? You know, and it's like, well, yeah, this is your social contract for working within this business. And so if, if this is uncomfortable for you, I appreciate your, your perspective as a human, you be you, but if you're going to be here in this mm-hmm. workplace, this is your agreement. And if it doesn't fit right with you, if, if those values are in line with your personal values, have a conversation with yourself, because unless you're an indentured servant at this particular company, you can go elsewhere. Absolutely. And people are like, whoa, real talk. I'm like, yeah, because this is the expectation. And if, if you're not on board, you're the problem, not the solution. Mm. Oh, amen. Um, <laughs> now, uh, one thing um, that I'm noticing a lot more, particularly here in Australia, and uh, when you introduce yourself, you also uh, did it, is the use of pronouns. Um, mm-hmm. They're becoming much more popular now. Can you explain to people who don't understand why that's so important? And I love that I'm explaining this so, so often, and it's fine. So, um, so, so pronouns, uh, it's especially to um, our trans brothers and sisters, are, are insanely personal, exactly like your name is. And so, you know, I don't want someone coming up to me and saying, hey, Stefan. No, it's Steve. Uh, you know, and so if, if you, you, you kind of get like that once over, especially if your name isn't kind of uh, something that's common within your projects specific uh, sphere of influence or, or exposure. And so, but when someone consistently gets your name wrong, that's really disrespectful. Pronouns are the same way. Pronouns are a replacement for your name. And so um, when people get the pronouns wrong, it's just really disrespectful. And so um, one of the things that I, I, I that people can do to normalize the concept of pronouns being really important is putting them in their subject line. You know, if you're, you're, if you're watching, you see they're already in my zoom little name at the bottom always, because what we're doing is we're normalizing the concept that pronouns are important and, and understanding what I identify as my pronouns is, is respectful to me. And so that normalization is just a great way to bring a little bit of attention to get it right folks, because it's just as important as someone's identity and their name. Mm. And and again, I've had some very odd conversations around that particular topic in the workplace, um, particularly when some people are starting to put in their email signature and they're like, what the heck's this all about? It's like, oh, we got some conversations to have. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, you know, places like here is where we can start that. And this kind of leads me to another curious subject that I've been having a lot of conversations about, particularly with a really good friend of mine who's a psychologist, um, and that is um, labels and understanding them. Now, you and I both know, you know, the rainbow flag and what it stands for and LGBTQ plus and half the alphabet. Um, but um, I'm, I'm seeing there's all these new labels that people are using for their sexuality and it's even confusing me, right? I'm like, what on earth is that? And I'm going down these deep dark holes I wasn't planning on and I'm like, wow. So I'm learning things. This is great. But are you finding this as well, that there's all these new emerging kind of labels that people are giving themselves and you're like, "Mm, is that really a thing? Like, You know, one that I can relate to is uh, I learned uh, not too long ago that Z, Zim, Ziz is new pronouns. So someone said, you know what? I don't, none of these fit me. Let's make one up. And that, and I'm like, that's awesome. Why not? You know, and, and that's, that's where I, I hear what you're saying. And, and, you know, I, and I will say as a 50 something year old, uh, gay man, the word queer was not always a cool thing in my world, mm. but I've come to understand and accept and, and, and get that perspective that, you know what, it, it is a nice shortcut and it's a great way to encompass all of us. Uh, like you said, all the letters that, that are there, um, as my one friend says, our rainbow family, awesome sauce. I love that one too. But, you know, I, I, I figure, who am I to label someone or, or mm. if they want to label themselves as this, you know, more power to you. I, it's, I try to exercise having an open mind and sometimes yes, in my, my older age, that's not, that's easier said than done. But I just figure if, if someone wants to identify as that, have on it, you know, that's, that's fine. And and I think what I share with people when they come up to me and say, you know, what's the Zim Zim Z's, you know, like, or, or whatever the, the correct pronouns are. I say, you know what, take a breath. How does that impact you? How's it really going to make you not sleep at night? And, you know, just putting things in that framework and perspective and being open, I think it's the way to go. I tell you what, though, Steve, it does make dating very interesting. <laughs> tell me more about that. <laughs> well, then you have to work out what this label is and whether you fit with it or not. It's like, huh. So, yes, it makes it a very interesting experience. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Now, um, with the work that you do, um, can you tell us about like some of the transformation and change that some some people have gone through uh, with the work that you've done? You know, and I saw this question coming up, and it really made me smile because you know, for for the work I do, sometimes you just don't get feedback. <laughs> you just yeah. kind of, especially when you go into a client, you do your thing, and you kind of go away. Well, one of the things that that I did with with my book Pride Leadership was, I mean, I'm an educator. I was a college professor for a hot minute, and you know, so but I always think in training. And so when I wrote the book, I wrote it like classes, like a module. So it's really a textbook in in of its sense. And so I turned it into an online leadership program. And I've had several um, uh, large companies, employee resource group leaders for the the queer folks go through it. And it's been a lovely, lovely experience. It's what I kind of envisioned when I first started writing the book. I had this one woman, um, she went through the program. She's the leader of one of the employee resource groups for a large pharma company. And she's an ally. So, you know, she's like, I know the book quote unquote, wasn't for me. I'm like, yes, it was. You get the humor. (laughs) And, you know, when I talk about, you know, storytelling, like Tori spelling, you get it. You know, she's like, okay, cool. (laughs) And um, so she went through the program and and she came back and and in the program, there's also one-on-one coaching component to it. And she said in her last component, and she was actually started to cry. And of course said, I'm getting all choked up. She's like, and, and I'm not trying to say this to be weird, but she said, this changed me. I'm like, how so? She's like, I just felt seen. 
And, and, and even as a straight ally, I've always felt, you know, part of the community, but sometimes not. And this just made me feel and helped me understand some of the things like empathy and how I can leverage that. And, and what's great is she, she, and she went through the program about six months ago. She, she got promoted. She, oh, she sent wow. me a little message to, link, to LinkedIn and, and, you know, and that's just one story. And I think, but though it speaks to kind of a broader sense that, that sometimes as a development professional that I'd been my whole career, and all of us are there. You don't know the impact one good deed, one good sentence, one good class, one good gesture can have on somebody. And I think you know that's that's the exciting part because now, as I start to go through my experience and you know, peers that I've worked with are now like senior VPs of this and that. I'm like, that's really cool to see. And they're like, you know, thanks for that class. You taught me blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yes. So it, it's, it's very heartfelt. I don't hear enough of those stories just because of the nature of being an external consultant. Mm, and that's got to be really fulfilling when you see someone advance like that and actually make a difference through what you've done. Yeah, totally. So, um, you know, in the in the work that you do as well, it must be super challenging when you've got people who are quite rigid in their ways and and uh, don't want to change. Um, what what would you say has been your biggest challenge, and how do you overcome it? I think my biggest challenge as uh, somebody who's trying to to move the needle in diversity inclusion is there's various ways to approach that. And so now I put on my change management hat. I worked for IBM for several years as a change consultant. And um, it's kind of a, was a natural progression of my learning trainer world. But the, the thing about training is, of course, it's it's very laser focused. And typically speaking, uh, a mass, vast majority of uh, the solution to help change behavior isn't how to do it. It's all the other things. So it's you know, the communication strategy. It's the measurement strategy. It's it's in, in a workplace setting, how the executives are um, you know supporting the change at hand, whatever it looks like. And I think one of the biggest challenges, and I still face this, is, is working with clients who think that training is a silver bullet and um you know they, they they even even to the small extent of steve can you come in and do a one-hour keynote on being an inclusive leader of course i can however it's not going to magically change you know, get on my disney wand it's not going to change your culture in one hour webinar um even a one-day class is not going to move the needle a whole lot but if it's part of the conversation and part of one of many arrows in the quiver, yes, it can be awesome. And the challenge that I face and continue to face is the clients who think our training is going to magically change everything and make them all inclusive. No. Um, so I try to convince them otherwise, you know, hey, let us use some measurement strategies to see and prove how we're moving the needle. Oh, we can't afford that. Or we don't have the resources or excuse, excuse, excuse. <laughs> and and that's, that's still one of the biggest challenges. I just was talking about that with my top dog, one of my top doggers today. We have an awesome client, inclusive leadership, tried to share with them, like, how are you measuring? Even, we don't care if you, we don't measure it. How are you measuring it? Mm. Oh, we got this. We got this. So, you know, they go through our training and they start to do the smile sheet. This was a good use of my time. Five out of five. Mm. Mm. It doesn't really tell you much. So really measuring the impact is probably one of the biggest things. Yeah. And I've recently been going through, um, a, um, a, an intentional leadership program um, at work. And part of that um, is, you know, you can train someone, but doesn't mean they're competent, um, you know. And this is this is the misnomer that a lot of people believe in. It's not like you got training, you can do it, you're fine. But, you know, until they've become competent, nothing's going to change. I mean, it's like I can learn what the speed limit is. doesn't mean I'm going to do it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. 
Now, I love asking this question because there's no wrong answer to it, but I'm super curious to find out what being ethical means to you, Steve. I, and I love this question. I love the name of your podcast. And I think of, to me, ethical is so intertwined with um, integrity. And, and, and I personally can't split the two apart very much. And, and so, and, and you know, my definition of integrity, which many others have is you know, integrity is doing the right thing when no one's watching. Mm. And, and, and I think ethical kind of rings in that same, same space that, that ethical is still doing the right thing, um, regardless of maybe personal motives, uh, regardless of, um, you know, political agendas, insert whatever you mean by political here. Um, ethical is, is doing that right thing, even when it's hard or when no one's watching. Absolutely. Love it. Um, so no doubt you've got a whole bunch of stuff happening at the moment. Um, what are you working on at the moment? What's coming up for you? Well, right now, one of my biggest um, areas of focus for my own personal development, because you know, I'm a development professional, physician, heal thyself. <laughs> I'm still learning as I will always. So I'm uh, one of my things I'm doing is I'm, I'm in a class to uh, sit on a corporate board of directors, you know, just to kind of groom myself for that. Because here in the States, um, and not just even in the States, um, in the Fortune 500, I think it's 0.1% of board corporate board seats are filled by career people. Wow. That's insanely too low. And, and so it, it needs to be different and uh, as well as with other minority or underrepresented minorities out there. So I'm in a class, I'm actually finishing up in, in the next week or so um, through Harvard University to, to really like figure out how to best represent, in this case, you know, my white cisgendered uh, queerness uh, on a corporate board and, and help them think about it through uh, maybe a little bit more of a diverse lens. So that's, that's one of the big things. Have started um, my uh, next book, and actually, I am finally getting going to get into the world of podcasting as well, believe it or not. That does not surprise me at all. <laughs> I've been fighting it for about two years. Um, I had a sales coach and she's like, you have to have a podcast. I'm like, I know people who have their podcast and it is a labor of love. And I am sure you understand that comment. And if you need a hand, just reach out because that's what my agency does. Uh, perfect. Perfect. Mm. Yeah. So, so I am finally um, just in the midst of starting that. And actually the podcast and the book are really tied together. Um, so I'm excited for that. Oh, can't wait for that. Um, so if people want to find out more about you, Steve, and get in touch, how can they do that? The best way is just to go to topdoglearning.biz, all one word. Uh, that's our, our main webpage. You'll find stuff about me, um, about my books, uh, my top dogger team, and just kind of general stuff that we do to try to make the world a bit more inclusive for us all. Awesome. Um, <clears throat> one thing, um, just when you were talking about that board position uh, that yeah. you're going for, um, I remember there was um, a, a, a a gay reverend I spoke to um, a few months back and um, we were talking about, you know, why why gay people are so good at so many things and she said, well, because they've had to go through so much, you know. <laughs> and I've always remembered that, you know, that like, yep, there we go. That's He's got the book. About. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I say for, for some of us and now I think it's, it's wonderfully changing, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had to tell my coming out story or, or come out to people and even just something as simple as being um, in front of a, a room of students or a virtual room of students. And I threw out the, oh, well, my husband of 23 years kind of thing. And, you know, because I want 
and, and this is the challenge of being, uh, you know, a quote unquote hidden minority to, to some extent, especially as a white cisgendered dude. Um, you know, I, I want people to know my, my difference and my authenticity and, but boy, does that get exhausting after a while? <laughs> it does. And, you know, I, I completely relate. And, you know, years ago, I used to be the kind of person who would hide who I really was as well, because particularly in the workplace, because, you know, you're at work, not really your business, you know. Um, And over years, I was like, you know what, screw it. Screw it. I'm not being authentic. I'm not being my true self. And the minute I just let go of all that and owned who I really was and accepted it, um, I was a completely different person. Well, and that's, and I literally, I mean, I have a whole chapter on authenticity and I, and I, I do believe that when you're hiding your, the pronouns of the, your, the person you hung out with in the weekend and putting those pictures away, you know, that's energy that you're wasting, not wasting, but you're channeling away from you being a more effective, effective leader in the workplace. And so good for you for, for, for doing that. And, and I, I encourage, um, if it's safe for you to do, um, to do it as well. Mm. And like, even when you meet new people and you're sort of like talking about things and it kind of really identifies who you are and you're like, oh, bugger it, just say it anyway, you know, like <laughs> stop dancing around, just say it. <laughs> you know? So I think if there's anyone out there listening, if you're going through that same challenge and you're, you're having trouble accepting who you are, um, and actually coming to terms with other people also accepting it, just own it uh, because it's going to be the best thing you ever do, I reckon. Yeah. You know, I, I got one of the coolest Instagram um, uh, messages this week from a relative who who sent me, he's like, you know, I, I want to be a better ally to my queer friends. I'm not sure what to do. And I'm like, oh, you just asked that as like the first most amazing thing that you can do. So I was, it was awesome. So that makes me happy. Yeah, just the recognition of it is is one thing, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. I'm to be better. What can I do? Mm. So I've got the last big question for you, Steve. Yes. What's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life? Well, you know, it, it's it's my not-so-hidden agenda, of course, is to help <laughs> uh, make a world that's a bit more inclusive for all of us. And so I, I, I think – you know, going back to my think in, speak up, act out kind of framework for that, I, th- I think the first thing that we all can do is start to think about what potential unconscious biases do we have and, and are still holding on to. I mean, if, if you're listening to this, you're watching this, if you are breathing, you have some sort of bias, which is just how humans are wired. But we all have different ones. And so I think the first step is to figure out which ones you have. And then start the the process of de-biasing yourself because you can do that. Um, And I think if we all do that, my goodness, we can make such a massive change in our world. Mm, That's it. It all starts with us, doesn't it? Yep. Exactly. Steve, I can't thank you enough for being a part of the ethical evolution. This has been absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much. Great. And thank you for the work that you do. This is awesome. Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution Podcast. If you're an ethical business owner, change maker or holistic healer who's determined to make a change in the world and you need support to spread your message, visit ethicalchangeagency.com to collaborate. Welcome to Tuning In to Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonise your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. 
Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Electric acid. Electric acid.